All right, welcome listeners. We have an exciting show for you tonight. We're going to talk about design thinking. So uh, in the past, uh, my previous life, I was a mechanical engineer, uh, did some things with uh, designing cords and bowling balls and some cool things like that. Still work with that company a little bit. But, you know, I've really seen in the last few years, uh, the big STEAM and STEM integration in the classrooms, really bringing science and math to life and, and showing the relevance to students. Um, I, I feel like it's always been there, but, but now we're starting to put a big emphasis on, uh, you know, this design thinking and this getting students ready for jobs that they're gonna be in the future and showing them the relevance uh, and meaning behind the math and the science they're learning. So Stephanie, what do you think about design thinking? I know you said that the first time you saw it really was at the Innovator um, Academy when we were in Sydney, Australia together. Yeah, so design thinking was new to me, um, and once I went through it at the Innovator Academy, I mean, I was even shocked that that's what we are focused on, because I thought it was going to be like Google products, like here's a Google slide, this is what we're going to do with it, and it wasn't at all. It was all about the design thinking product, uh, process, and I never used it before. Um, my district didn't really push it, and now I am because I'm so in love with it. It really changed my mindset and thinking about everything. I am so focused on the user now that it's kind of annoying to other people um, because we'll be talking about a problem and I'm like, well, that's not going to work because like, for example, beginning of the year, we had, you know, teachers filling out help desk tickets and then a Google form. So, so one thing about that, you know, one of the school system that I work for, we always say the student is at the center of every decision we make. So the fact that you say that, you know, the end user is what you're focused on. You know, I, I drive people nuts too in my district because, you know, the, the teachers a lot of times will come up with excuses or they'll say, you know, but this won't or that won't. And then we point them back to the student and we're like, so how's this going to work for the student? How's this going to benefit them? It's not about you. We've got our education. It's about them. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I annoy them yeah. too. And sometimes it's not about the student. Sometimes it is about the teacher. For example, like with the help desk, we had teachers filling out help desk tickets and a Google form. Okay, teachers at the beginning of the year in August, are they really okay with filling out two different things? Like your mind is so focused on the student that that is not a good workflow for them. And we weren't, like they weren't even thinking about the user. And I think so often it's about like, how can I make this better? Like for example, communication. We've got multiple different departments in our district and everybody is trying to get the teacher's attention because it's all about them. And after Google, I was kind of like, well, the user is so stressed out. So everything else, how can I serve them better and communicate better to meet their needs rather than my needs? Um, so I was selfish and I didn't even know it until after the Google Innovator Academy. And now I'm not as much. And I read this one book, um, I think he's going to be our guest speaker today. That really helped me after the Google Innovator take it a step further. And so if you have not read Educated by Design, I highly, highly suggest you do because it helps you switch your focus on that user. So, you know, Stephanie, and, and you, you said it there, I've, I've been on a, on a run uh, the last few, few days training a lot of teachers on some Google tools and how to use them in the classroom. Um, and these users, they go way back later to school than we do. Uh, so they, they're actually in a new building this year. The building's not done. Um, you know, they're trying to get lesson plans and all this together. 
And I told him, I said, I realize that you're here, you're listening, and y'all have been a great audience, but you're going to remember about 20% probably of what I've told you today. So when, when I'm doing these PDs and these trainings to help these teachers, I try to remember that in the back of my head. And I try to make sure that I've got, you know, a slideshow presentation, a YouTube video or something that I can hand them before I leave. That way they can, they can think back, well, that guy showed us something, showed us how to do something, but I don't remember exactly how to do it. So they can always go back to, you know, that video or that presentation and, and click back through it a month from now or two months from now when they actually have time to slow down. Because as you said, us as teachers, that's our priority right now. It's going to be, you know, getting things ready to go, our students, and, you know, just making sure that our classrooms are, are there and ready. All right, I'm excited to bring on the show with us tonight, Michael Cohen, also known as the Tech Rabbi. He is a Google Certified Educator Level 1 and Google Certified Educator Level 2, a Google Certified Trainer, and he is an author. Uh, he had written the Educated by Design, and he is a Director of Innovation. Michael, I know you have been just as crazy busy as we have, so thank you for coming on the show tonight, enlighten us on, on what's been going on in your world. I'm super excited to be on. Always glad to have great conversations with educators and, and hopefully bring some, uh, some value and some insight to, to the educators that are listening. Well, thank you once again for coming. Uh, what, what have you been doing the last month? Well, the last month's been a whirlwind. Um, you know, I, I think that s some of us like to spend the summer recharging and recovering from, you know, our, uh, you know, some people have nine to fives. Most educators have nine to nines or eight to eights. And uh, I, I had a nice little vacation with my wife. I went to Israel for 12 days, left my kids behind, and that was pretty incredible and was the uh, the moment of, of, of breath I needed to literally come back the next day, be on a plane to South Carolina. I did a, a workshop for the uh, local PBS station in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, around creativity, sketch noting, and ways to you know build creative capacity. Uh, the conversations around the principles in my book have been a, a major catalyst of of the work that I've been doing over the past couple years. And I went from there to Microsoft. I was a guest for their hackathon for two days. They had the, the entire corporate hackathon, one week, 30,000 plus employees. Um, I signed a bunch of NDA agreements. So I can't talk about what happened there, but I was a guest at the, uh, um, also at the education hackathon. And the, the whole premise was, was design, thinking and problem solving and creativity as a catalyst to drive the, the reason, the purpose and the need to learn technical skills and learn how to build and interface with sensors, microcomputers, uh, programming and data sets. Uh, from there, uh, I had a little breather and then I did two back-to-back -back keynotes for uh, school districts in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia at uh, Ohio County Schools and then at, uh, uh, in Portage, Mich Michigan um, for their public school district about an hour south of Grand Rapids. And uh, I just got back from that so it's been uh, it's been busy and um, amazing. So I'm I'm just excited to keep going. I don't I don't know how to chill. That's my big problem. And you were sharing with us before the show a book that you're reading, Sprint. Um, I kind of looked it up on Amazon, and I like how it says how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days. And I think that's so true with um, design thinking. 
you can solve huge problems in just a few days because you're so not focused on yourself. So what are you learning while you're reading that book or while you're thinking of design thinking? Yeah, so the, the, um, the book is, is a pretty cool blend. It's definitely influenced by uh, the design thinking process. And in fact, the, uh, on the back of the book, uh, one of the endorsers is from uh, Tim Brown, who's the CEO of IDEO. Uh, IDEO and uh, Stanford co-created the design thinking uh, model. And uh, also a little bit of like the lean startup kind of approach. So the, the, the thing about design thinking that I've, I've always been fascinated by, and I think is addressed in this book, is that when you're, when you're talking about designing a product for, a, for, an, for an end user, it's very different than designing an experience or an opportunity for a human being that's a student, that's a young person, that the thing you're designing is meant to uh, in, engage them and help them become better and, and better equipped in some way, whether it's a skill, whether it's knowledge, application, and so I'm, I'm constantly looking at ways to ensure that the, there's structure to a process that promotes wild ideas and promotes creativity, but you can get lost. You can get lost in the post-it notes. You can get lost in the brainstorming. And what I've, what I've found is, is that educators love the problem identification process. They love the empathizing process. They love defining the essential problem and they love ideation, but now they have to prototype it, right? And that's the hard part. It's even harder to test it. So anytime I can find ways to learn from those designers, people in, in the tech world, how do we ensure that we can get beyond just talking about good ideas and actually come up with a way to implement a prototype and test it out and be open to not having to get it right the first time. That's a big, uh, big issue for me in education is that students have to get it right the first time, teachers have to get it right the first time, and that's not how the real world works. So I'm excited to hopefully get those answers that I'm, I'm that, you know, answers to those, those wonders in, in this book. Uh, I also bought um, uh, the, the book Change by Design uh, by the, um, the CEO of, of IDEO. I haven't started that one yet, but like I said, anytime I can learn to improve and better my ability to, to help make this process actually uh, result in something that can be implemented, I think that, you know, that's critical for me. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're talking about prototyping and testing. That's, that's kind of why we run, run into a, a wall sometimes. Uh, I think a lot of times that's because uh, of money, one, because once we have to start building things, we have to find resources to build that. Uh, two, it's messy. Um, three, teachers have to step outside of their comfort zone. When, as long as we're in the idea phase, we're okay as, as teachers. But, you know, when we start giving students uh, tools to use and things like that, uh, some of us may not be the best with tools, and, and we may not feel as comfortable with that. Uh, one thing, though, that I want to add is we have to remember the go public phase. Uh, I think that a lot of our students have really great ideas, and, and they make some really cool stuff, uh, but a lot of times we don't ever tell anybody about it. So I think there's some really cool stuff out there that's been made that, that people have never seen. And also, uh, if we let our students know from the beginning, 
that whatever we create, whatever we make, we're going to go public with, then I, then I think that we're going to get some, some better products from our students. And honestly, the test, test it stage is the hardest stage, I think, too, because <clears throat> for my Google Innovator project, when it was time to test, I was like, uh, do I really want to send this out on Twitter where it's public and everybody can see? Should I just send it to the people that I know are going to love it and not everybody? And that was hard for me to hit send, but I'm glad I did. But it is the hardest stage for educators, I think. Absolutely. I think that the testing, it, it, puts, it puts you out in the public. It opens you up for, uh, for criticism, for, for questions, for questions that you might not have the answer to, and then that puts you in an uncomfortable place. But one of the things that I think is important for our students is that testing things provides an opportunity for students to learn how to interact uh, with feedback in a way where the feedback can be directed at um, the product versus the person and or the prototype whatever uh, you, word you use in this case but the the thing and not and not and not the and not the individual a lot of the times our students and then they grow up to become adults we attribute the criticism to us and it's it's me that you're criticizing and 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 my ability and my my intellect etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's that's really not what it's about and when you go through product design processing that doesn't mean you're going to become a product engineer or a product manager or work for a startup or any company that's product driven. You, may, you might become a doctor, you might become an actress or an athlete, you might become uh, the most incredible coffee barista you know, in the entire town. Whatever you're doing because you love doing, product design gives you an opportunity to look at ways in which you can make decisions and you can interact and you can reflect on and you can improve upon without having it to be something that is circled around uh, me and my output. And the, the, the word that I love, it's a, a Seth Godin term from his book, Lynchpin. And I put this in my design thinking uh, model graphic that I, that I created is ship it. You know, as you said earlier, get it out into the world, get students to interact and to see what others beyond the classroom walls are going to think about this and want to use it. Uh, I was just talking with, uh, with uh, my new uh, team, teammate who's coming into my STEM department. And I said, you know, it's, it's one thing to learn about water conservation. And it's one thing to, you know, come up with a theoretical solution. But if you actually try to create a product that could solve water conservation, and get people to use it and to get feedback, you could be a fifth grader who, you know, like I, I think that uh, a, is it a 12 year old just won the Google Science Fair for a, uh, a system that takes microplastics out of the ocean? Like, like, where did he come up with that? He doesn't have a degree in, 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 in ocean science. He doesn't have a degree in engineering. So how could he possibly do that, right? But he did it because he clearly was passionate, curious, intrigued. And I'm sure he also put a tremendous amount of hours into this, but like stop limiting our students because their age demographic dictates what they're capable of doing. And I think we limit students a lot of the time just because we're like, oh, we can't, or the time factor, or I have to teach this. And we don't empower students as much as we could um, and letting them make more decisions on their 
account. And I liked how you kind of said like taking the feedback and not putting it on the individual. Are there any other tips you have so they put it on the product and not like what kind of language should people be using rather than some of the language that I hear of like, oh, that's just like a really bad idea or whatever they want to say. And it really does affect the person. So what kind of language would you suggest? So there's two, there's two ways that I help um, mentor my students with uh, constructive and critical feedback. Because uh, I think it's important for, for, for like the, the real world will require you to have hard conversations where you are invested in something and it, it, it might not work, but you're so blinded by your love and passion and dedication that you can't accept that there's a better way to evolve or develop this. So one of the things is if we're having a conversation in a classroom, we're a community. We are all in this together. And whether you're working on a project and I'm not interested in that at all, the way in which you phrase your feedback totally can change the way that somebody interacts with it and that everybody feels part of it. So how might we, you know, th that phrase is pretty popular in the design world, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not always in the, the critical feedback of somebody who's not even part of the project. How might we uh, address this issue all of a sudden disconnects it from just the individual who is the author, but now I'm part of it as well. The other thing is just how are you phrasing your feedback? If something is bad and you don't have enough imagination to propose a potential improvement, so it's almost as if you don't deserve to criticize it, right? So that, and I say that you know, very transparently to my students. If you can't come up with some potential idea that might improve this, then you can't, you can't call out and question the solution because there, there is a solution that exists. Whether it's the best one, whether it's totally ridiculous and would never work, it's a, it's a proposed solution. Um, the way that I, that I support students with that is um, I go through um, you know, idea, idea, massive idea generation. Uh, one, one of the terms that I, that I heard uh, and I use, um, I think of Ryan, Ryan um, McIntosh, probably butchering that name, uh, but whoever's listening can Google that, uh, or maybe I'll share with you to put in the show notes. Uh, but he created this, this term called the bad idea factory. So I've been using that for years, that term of just any idea goes, of course, they have to be safe and legal ideas that don't hurt or embarrass people. But when you start to build out this idea generation capacity, then it allows students to say, well, how might, we, how might we fix this area? You know, you wanted to create something that uh, requires, you know, a high, you know, a, a highly technical um, programming background and you don't have that background. So how, how are you going to do, to do that versus how students tend to react, generally react is like, you're not a programmer, so you can't do that. So now all of a sudden the student's been shot down and they can't move their prototype forward because they don't have, you know, three years of Python programming expertise. And so, you know, I think those are, those are you know, some, some ways that I generate conversation and try to get students to um, understand, you know, short and long-term conversations, planning, feedback, criticism. But you want, you want students to develop a thick, you know, thick skin. I think that's an important characteristic of innovation and entrepreneurship. But at the same time, you want them to, if they are going to be critical they have to be critical in a in an art in, in, in a way that they can articulate how they how they would propose 
um, you know, a solution to, to improve. You know, Stephanie, too, this sounds like when we were in Sydney, and as we always said, this isn't, you know, my, my problem. This is our problem. This is, this is our project we're working on together. So it's a, it's a community thing, as he said there. Uh, so the more that we can bring in a team, community aspect and feel to it, uh, I, I think you're right, uh, Michael. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll go further with it. And I think that's where classroom struggles. They don't have that community feeling. It doesn't feel like family. You've got different cliques of different kids who hang out, and it's not everybody together um, in some classrooms. And I think that's the struggle because at Google, they made the community very welcome. It was very positive. And people still today are helping us with our own projects from Sydney that I was like, oh, we'll never see them again. I probably won't see them, but I talk to them almost every week. Yeah, yeah community is a big, it's a big piece of it. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be best friends. I think like the, the friendship factor is always a plus, but what we're trying mm -hmm. to do is to, when students understand their own unique capacities, their own unique gifts, then collaboration can be more possible, um, you know, be better, um, can be more realis realistic to, to bring true collaboration into the purview of the classroom. So I, I don't have to, you know, I might not want to hang out with you on the weekends. I might not want to go out to you know, dinner with you. I think that's fine, uh, but I can be cordial, respectful, uh, but even more, uh, I can acknowledge that uh, you are gifted in design. You are dif uh, gifted in fabrication. You are gifted in, in precision measurements. Right. Like if, if everybody knows that, like, if I'm trying to measure something that needs to be a precise solution and so and so in the corner over there who's working on their project is the go to caliper master who is going to make sure that your design isn't 3D printed five times or that you're, you know, forget measure, measure twice, cut once. If you don't know how to measure, you can measure 12 times. <laughs> so it's it's, um, you know, celebrating people's uh, abilities and gifts can also build community around collaboration versus building it around, you know, social constructs. I think that that, you know, you know, for me, uh, I actually don't want my startup founder to be my best friend. Uh, that would be catastrophic. I want it to be someone that like I can interact with in a, in a good way, but is gifted and skilled. And I know that, that their skills are what's bringing value in the community of whatever we're doing. There's a historical uh, document that talks about different parts of the body and, and needing needing those different parts of the body to work together, uh, you know, to, to build kind of that community and bring all things together. So, you know, we all have different skill sets and we all bring different skill sets to the table. So, you know, you need those different people because I might be able to do one thing, but Michael, you and Stephanie may have other attributes that you bring. Okay, so we are going to go into our next section, which is our quote and meme section. So, Michael, what quote or meme did you have for today? All right, I'm going to interrupt just for a second. You got two parts to your test tonight, Stephanie. Two oh, parts. Gosh. Part number one, do you recognize Michael's meme or where the movie came from? Um, it's Will Ferris. Will, Will who? Will, Will, <laughs> what's his name? He's hilarious. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell. <laughs> do you recognize the movie? I don't know the movie. Yeah, I'm not going to go too hard on you tonight because you shouldn't watch this movie. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I recall right, this is old school. Michael, is this old school? It is old school. It is old school. Um, 
the, the good news is I didn't watch the movie. I just know Will Ferrell, mostly from some of his other um, um, more tame movies. Um, but it's, it's literally the, the best meme of all time. And, um, you know, I, I'm very uh, intentional and selective with my memes. I feel like they, they represent, you know, a, a, a deep level of communication uh, that you're trying to convey. But that meme just is, is my, like when something is just totally awesome, that, that is my go-to meme. And I, I use it and abuse it on Twitter. <laughs> it is fun to watch. I just keep watching it over and over and I'm like, what's gonna happen next? <laughs> So my quote is, I was watching a YouTube video of Jamie Cassup and he started this YouTube channel about just different tips and tricks to his life. And it was how to win at email, which is something that I feel like I don't win at. And he had this quote in his video that I just really loved. And it just said, email is someone else's to-do list. And that just hit home with me because I was like, it is. People are emailing me their to-do list so I can get those tasks off their to-do list for them. And so I need to stop thinking of email of like, oh, I need to get this done and more of, no, that's their list and they want me to help them with it. And it was just an interesting video. So I really highly suggest you watch it because my perspective changed a lot about email after watching that video. All right. So question number two, do you recognize this movie? Um, it's Hangover. Incorrect. No? Then I don't know. That is The Big Lebowski. Do you, do you recognize any of the characters in that, Stephanie? No. Okay, not even John Goodman? Is that, which one is that? Yeah, because he's the, uh, in The Big Lebowski, he's like, he doesn't roll on Shabbos, and he gets that's, like all mad and irritated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there you go. He did know the movie. He helped right. you out. Yeah. So my quote for this week is, yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man. And I've heard that so many times when it comes to design thinking and critical thinking and how students need to be doing that. Um, you know, but they really do. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to push my own agenda. I'm just trying to do what's best for our students. And, uh, you know, people may think it's my opinion, but I feel like that there's a lot of us out there that have that same opinion. All right. And so, Michael, what is um, something that you've learned this week that you can share with others? I think that, I mean, there's, there's a couple of like pretty intense learning moments right now. I think the, the big piece is just perfect as the enemy of done. Um, in education, we're, we're always striving for perfection. We have to have the perfect scope lesson, the perfect sequence, the perfect connection to the standards, the perfect potential learning outcomes. And I, I think that if we look at, at our classroom as more of an experiment, in learning. Uh, that doesn't mean don't be prepared or don't take it serious, but this notion that it, it can't go into the classroom until I am perfect or it is perfect uh, is something that, you know, even though I, I, I make it a principle of one of my, you know, in, in, in my book, it's hard to actually follow my own directions uh, is, is, you know, reading different strategies, like even in this book Sprint um, about how to get things out in segments and really test and see what the results are and not believe that it's like an all or nothing way of living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's true that we do try to get that perfect lesson, but we just need to have that experience with students and just try it. 
If it yeah. doesn't work, it doesn't have work. A good, have a good lesson, you know, like yeah. put some heart into it. But like the idea that, you know, if all the check boxes aren't checked, that like learning can't happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And so what I found out today was the VisMe website. I've never seen this before, but it's just like Canva or Google Draw where students can create um, infographics. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. Another way for students to create different products. Um, they have like presentations, infographics, documents, printables, web design. Um, I haven't looked into it a whole lot. So I'm interested to see more about how to use this website. So if you are using it, let us know how you're using it and share some student examples. Lance, what's yours? So I decided I've been working a lot with flow charts lately uh, and I had used uh, like lucid charts and stuff like that in the past, but now they're pretty much a paid model all the way. Uh, so I have uh, started using Google drawings, flow chart template. Uh, and I, I would tell you who made this, but I can't pronounce his name. Uh, but thank you to, to the uh, designer of this. So this has helped me make the flow charts for our district and things like that. So I thought that it would be a valuable resource for our listeners. All right, Michael, how can people connect with you? Um, I think the, the easiest way is Twitter. Uh, I'm the, the tech rabbi on every social platform, but I think Twitter is just a great place to have conversations that can also bring value to, to others that are you know, part of the community. Um, so they can connect there, you know, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, I'm all over the place, but Twitter is where the conversations happen. Awesome. Thank you. So thank you for listening to Get Inspired and Innovate. If you would like to see our show notes, it is at getinspiredandinnovate.com and connect with us on Twitter. We can't wait to reach out and have more conversations next week. See you soon.